guys. Welcome back to our teaching in the first epistle of Peter. Now, the last time we were here, we were still in chapter one as we were dealing with uh, Peter's exhortation to the believer and dealing with the difficulties of struggles and trials on this earth with the mindset of being focused on Jesus and the time in which Jesus is to come. That is, okay, remember that I told you that in the epistle of Peter, one of the reasons why I love the epistle of Peter so much is the practical nature of the letter Peter. Now, when I say practical, practical simply means as we understand, especially epistles, we can see this especially again in the epistles of Paul, there's a theological side. Now, there's that's the same thing we can see in Peter as well. Usually, first, there is some theological doctrine or important information that they give at the beginning of the letter. And then in the follow through of the letter, usually towards the end of the letter, the, the, I'm sorry, middle to the end of the letter, there is the exhortation to practical living. And that's what we mean when we say practical side of First Peter. That is why I like Peter so much is because Peter emphasizes even very early on how Christian people should live in a world that hates them and in times of trials and tribulation in difficult times, okay? And we can understand that especially as it pertains to today. But let's go back. So what was going on as we were looking at the end, I'm sorry, uh, was it verses 6 through 21 or something to that effect? Yeah, 6 through 21, First Peter. And then Peter was highlighting this effect concerning their salvation, how that their salvation, which was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, precious indeed it is. And even though they themselves go through difficult trials and tribulation, you want to live in such a way that pleases the Lord Jesus so that he might be pleased with you at his return. So when we kind of left off on that sense, we were dealing with the issue of living in such a way that pleases Jesus at his return. Okay, so that's the idea that Peter was focused on. Now, we're going to continue on as we move closer. So we've already dealt with, uh, we laid a partial foundation, right? A partial foundation in um, the idea of difficulties, trials, and tribulation in this world, okay? And living a life that is important, a life, I'm sorry, I'm saying that all wrong, guys, I'm sorry, a life that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus, okay? That's one of the foundations that we've laid in First Peter, right? Looking forward to that coming. Now we're going to continue on and lay the other parts of the foundation of First Peter's letter. And when we say the foundation, I'm basically talking about the purpose to which Peter was writing his letter, okay? That expectancy for the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to live in such a way because you are the elect people of God. And then we're going to now deal with that practical side. And that's what we're about to bring out now. We're going to lay that foundation of, okay, live this way, live this way, live this way. And the whole idea is, even though there will be difficulties in this world, even though you will be, you will be mistreated in this world, and even though you may be even misunderstood in this world, still as God's people live this way. So that's what you're going to see in the remainder of this lesson. All right. 
that practical side of it. All right, so now let's go on. Enough of that. Let's go on to verse number 22, and let's see how far we can get. I don't know if we'll be able to finish uh, all of, we will be able to finish all of chapter one, of course, but all of chapter two, don't know, because we're going to see a, he's going to get into that live that way, do this type scenario, and then he's going to kind of break off for a while and talk about the Lord Jesus, and then he's going to return back to the heart of the letter, okay? So we'll see how far we can get on all of that. Verse 22, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Uh, let's stop there so we won't go too far. But, okay, notice what he says. All right, now that whole idea of, remember as we left off, living in a manner that that is pleasing to the Lord so that when the Lord returns, he will show such favor towards you. He can say, well done. You've done well, okay? And so here's the thing. So the first commandment that he gives is foundational. Or, well, I don't know if I want to even say foundational, but let me just simply say one of great importance that he lays in a foundational sense to the believer, and that is the command to love one another. And if we re recall, Jesus said the same thing too. Remember he said, one last command, a final commandment that I give you, that you love one another. And he says, even as I have loved you. Now, I don't want to get into, uh, to dissect all of that. Just think about what the Lord says. You love one another. How should we love one another? To what extent should we love one another? Jesus says, as I have loved you. What is the extent of Jesus' love? No greater love has a, can a man have than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friend. So here we can see as Peter simply says it in his own manner, to have what? Fervent love for one another. And notice this thing. This love that we have is in obedience to the truth of the word of God. And we can even understand it, the truth of the word of Jesus Christ, because this was the command that he gave his people that we should love one another. And then the rest of it is just basically talking about or extolling the word of God. And that's what it says. So number one, Peter begins to say, laying this foundation of loving one another. Now, when he says loving one another, let me make a distinction in that. This is not the love that Peter is speaking about in the general love for all. That is not what Peter is saying. When Peter talks about the loving of one another, he is talking about the brotherhood of the saints fellow believers. And there is always a distinction in the kind of love that believers should have for one another. Now, we can love other people, but there is always a distinction in that love that we have 
for one another. But anyway, so what happens? So he goes on and talks about, for this comes from the word of God. And what about the word of God? And that's when he goes into verse number six and talking about that imperishable seed. And notice the terminology that he uses. He uses the terminology of that which is forever, that which endures. Notice, born again, not of what? perishable, but imperishable, that living and what enduring word of God. And then he simply quotes Isaiah when he talks about the things that are of this world or of, of man, all flesh is like grass and the flower of grass, grass withers and flower flakes away, but the word of God endures forever. Only thing he is doing is in a somewhat of a poetic way, he's just simply saying for everything else, fails and passes away, but the word of God endures forever. So all he was saying in this particular section is he gave the command to love one another in a very fervent way, really love one another. This is the sense of that agape love and the agape. Remember, agape love means self-sacrificing love. And with this, we should love one another. And this comes because of it was commanded to us by the word of God. And then he continues on to simply say, and everything else will perish, but the word of God continues forever. So therefore, that commandment to love one another is a continuing command because it comes from the continuing word of God. All right. Now let's go on to verse number two. I'm sorry, chapter number two, <laughs> verse one. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word of God, so that you might by it, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of of the Lord. So now notice this in verse number one, he has that therefore, and the idea of is, and responding to these things, responding to what? Responding to the word of God, and even in particular, responding to the word of God, the commandment of Peter, to love one another. And if you are loving one another, how should we show forth this love? Putting aside all malice deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Now, normally I don't like to get into all of these words, but let's just quickly examine some of these things. And this is something that, and again, again, this is the beauty of Peter's letter, that practical, how we need to live. So what Peter is now saying here is how we need to treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because remember what I just told you, he is talking, talking to Christian believers and he just commanded them, love one another. This comes from the word of God. How should we love one another? Or even in chapter two, verse one, how shall we not? Because all of these are negations, things that we should not do. How should we not love one another? Notice what Peter says, in malice, Malice is the intent to do evil. If you truly, <laughs> and that's where he goes to say, if you're truly tasted of the Lord is good, <laughs> but the kindness of the Lord, but malice is that intent to do evil. We have to be careful. We always want to be mindful 
of our intentions and what we do and how we do things. You know, I've often said to people, sometimes, sometimes it's not always what you do, but it is your spirit that you have in the doing of those things. And if the spirit that you have in doing something is of an evil kind, of an evil nature, then I don't care what you did, it will be rejected by God. It may even be judged by God. And for this reason, we should always ask God to purify our motives. And this is the idea that Peter is bringing in here is the motive by the which you do things. Why did you do what you did? But here, the idea is the motive for what you did was evil. But just allow me simply to, to expand on this issue of motive. Always ask God and be prayerful in Lord and whatever I say and whatever I do, Purify my motives so that these things, what I do, will be acceptable before Jesus Christ. Why? Because he knows the heart. Anyway, he says malice, deceit, deceit speaks for itself. It simply says that whatever you did, you didn't do it properly. You did it in a crooked manner and a perverse manner. Hypocrisy, meaning that there is a lack of genuineness, lack of genuineness, or we can even say in a two-faced kind of a way, and then envy. Now, let me talk about envy. Envy basically is jealousy. If there is the one thing that I have heard and seen in my life, and it's one thing that people would be quick to deny is jealousy. That is a lie. We all experience jealousy at some time or another. Sometimes we're, most times we're aware of it. Sometimes we're not aware of it. One of the ways that I've noticed that you can <laughs> tell whenever there's a jealous spirit, whether in you or in anybody else, if you see something happen or good or, or, or beneficial or whatever for someone else, and the first thing you have is a negative thought or negative feeling. But if the same thing were to happen to you was to come in your direction, all of a sudden it's a good thing. That's jealousy. That's envy. It's not because of really the thing that is happening. It is because of a spirit of jealousy and envy. And we always need to be mindful and prayerful about these things because we too, all of us, have to deal with the jealousy that we have. And then finally says slander. And slander simply means to speak evil of another. Don't, whether it's backbiting or whatever, to just talk ugly about one another. So again, what is he talking about? He is dealing with the manner in which we are to show forth our love for one another in obedience to the word of God by not, by what? By not having malice, that evil intent, deceit, not telling the truth and speaking what is wrong, hypocrisy, being two-faced and envious, that is being jealousy, slander, speaking evil of one another. But then he says, on the contrary, what? Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word of God to grow in respect to salvation. So instead of manifesting these this type of wickedness, 
wickedness, which can sometimes be very uh, indicative of spiritual immaturity. Newborn babies, just like a baby would desire milk, we should desire the, the word of God. And I like the very idea of how Peter uses that, like newborn babe. And let me give you this example. I made this example the other day. It is something about a baby. Anything that you put to the mouth of a baby, they just begin to suck. They, <laughs> they can be full and they'll still try to eat more and more and more. And so he says, for us, even like newborn babies, like newborn babies having this desire, desire that word of God. And this word of God would help us to do what? Grow thereby. And that is to give us spiritual maturity so that we can truly love one another and we can truly be what the Lord would have us to be. All right. And also too, let me bring this out to you too. Uh, there is a direct relationship. When we saw, when Peter talks about the newborn babes, Notice the direction of his letter. And when I say the direction, I literally mean the intent to the particular audience. There is an understanding of spiritual immaturity that is that is seen. I wouldn't say it's seen, but Peter is writing to those who are spiritual, spiritually immature. And so here the reference is as to newborn babes. Now, this is in first Peter. What we find is Peter is functioning. Peter is obeying the commandments of Jesus. Remember in John chapter 21, one of the last words that Jesus said to Peter in Peter's restoration, he said to Peter, remember asking Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. And the word arneon. And the word for lamb simply means baby sheep. And then again, at the end, I think it's a very final one. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. I believe he used the term probaton. And that, that Greek word deals with the mature sheep. So here in the letter of first Peter, what we see is Peter is speaking to spiritually immature or baby believers in obedience to Jesus. Feed my lambs. What you'll also find is when we get to the second epistle of Peter, Peter expects these believers to be mature believers. And then you'll see the fulfillment when Jesus said, feed my sheep, that is the adult sheep. But anyway, just wanted to bring that out to you. But nevertheless, so he is simply saying, if indeed you have been born again, you have experienced that spiritual rebirth through Jesus Christ, then endeavor to live in a way that pleases him. And the idea here principally is how we deal with one another. Now, we want to have this type of practice of life no matter where we are and whom we deal with, whether with saints or even with sinners. But particularly here, Peter is dealing with how we should deal with one another. That is the body of Jesus Christ. How malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander should not be a part of us. There should be peace, unity, and what Peter lays the foundation, what? Love. All right, now let's continue. Verse number four. 
he now continues on to remember the last thing you said in verse number three is about experiencing the kindness of the Lord, experiencing the kindness of the Lord. That is the Lord Jesus Christ coming into a true saving relationship with Jesus. So what he's now going to do, he's going to kind of take a hiatus. <laughs> in other words, even though, remember the idea, the practical nature of the letter of first Peter. And then, okay, I want you to live this way, live that way, live that way. Now he's going to kind of take a break or some sort of an excursion. And instead of talking so much about, I want you to do that, he's going to continue that sense. I want you to do this. I want you to live this way. But he's going to kind of, kind of digress a little bit and begin to speak on the Lord, the goodness of the Lord and their our relationship to him. So he's going to kind of digress a little bit in this sense of a praise. Okay. Four. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is, is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone a precious stone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they were disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Okay. Now that's a little thick. So uh, once again, now, and I know Peter can sometimes be thick, but the easy part of Peter, the easy part of Peter, for the most part, will come into that practical saying, do this, do that, live this way, live that way. But then when Peter gets a little difficult and you have to really unfold all that Peter is saying is when he begins to talk in theological points like this one. And this is that theological point outside of that practical, do this, do that. This is one of those points times here. And so let me break it down so that we can understand what Peter is trying to say as he speaks to this particular audience. And also as we draw out what applies to us as well. So speaking of Jesus, he says, verse number four, coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but his, his choice and precious in the sight of God. So that kind of speaks for itself. Jesus as that living stone. So he began to speak of that which we use to build a house, which would be a spiritual place which God will indwell. And we can, uh, we can understand how he is inferring. Think back, kind of think back in the Jewish mind of the first century Jew who would be reading this and may have thoughts concerning the temple of God. And what did they understand about the temple of God? It was the place, it was a house that was built so that God would inhabit this house and God would make his presence known amongst the people. So he begins laying that, but he lays that in the sense, in the foundational sense that Jesus is that most important stone. 
He is the living stone. He is the one who is God in whom the house of God is built. But anyway, we're not going to get into all of that, but the living stone, notice what he says. Okay. Rejected by men. Now, what's important about that? Again, what we, let's go back to, to, to the first century, first century Jew. The Jewish people as a whole had rejected Jesus. You got to remember that as we work through this part of the text, especially they had rejected Jesus and only a few people had believed in Jesus as the Christ. And even now we can go back to the beginning, go back to what I talked about in verses number, what is it? One through five at first Peter chapter one, one through five, and look at how Peter called them the elect ones and the chosen ones of God. That is, these were people whom God the father had chosen before time unto salvation. It was not so much they did this, they did that. Salvation is never of works. Salvation is from the calling of God and the people who are called by God are given as gifts to the son. Okay. This is the very principle of election. But as Peter is talking about here, now just remember that part as we work through the rest of it. But Peter is talking about here, you can flash back to the other Jewish people, those who had rejected Jesus Christ. And that's what he means when he says rejected by men. The Jewish people, the Jewish nation as a whole had rejected Jesus and therefore Jesus himself, that rock. And that's what he's going to talk about. But okay, let me just stop there and just keep on with the script before I go too much. Okay. So rejected by the Jewish people as a whole, but not you Jews, not you Jews, right? You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So notice again, you as living stones, as Christ live, you live because you put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter was talking about that even earlier in chapter one. But notice again, he calls, he said, talks about a spiritual house. So again, that idea of what? The temple. Remember, the temple was made up of stones, a place to the which, and this is, okay. All right. And if you understand the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple was made uh, on the prototype of the tabernacle, that is to resemble the tabernacle. In the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant between the two cherubims would be the place where the Shekinah glory of God would be seen. God's presence would be made, made manifest in that house, okay? God's presence in the house, the temple in Jerusalem. And you have to understand these believers, remember the audience that Peter is talking to, they have been, uh, they're under persecution and they have been scattered outside of the land. So therefore they don't have this ready access to the temple of God. So we can understand that. And number two, as Jesus Christ himself has come, and this is most important. I don't have time to get into it, but it is most important. As Jesus has come, the temple of God 
is the Messiah. And that's what John talked about in John chapter one, that when Jesus was born in the flesh, he tabernacled amongst the Jewish people. He was the living, breathing temple of God, God with us, Emmanuel, okay? And so therefore, the manner in which they worshiped in the temple, these things were no longer necessary because all of these things, their manner of worship in the temple were nothing more than types and shadows that speak of Jesus, his person, who Jesus is, and what Jesus would accomplish. Once Jesus has come, temple worship in the manner of Judaism is no longer necessary. There is now a new house, not the house that was made with hands, but a house that is made by the Spirit of God. So notice what he says, a spiritual house. So they themselves, even though scattered away from the land, rejected by the Jewish people, rejected by the religious leadership as being uh, uh, unacceptable, unacceptable in their religious views and in their form of religious worship. Why? Because they believe in Jesus. That house in Jerusalem is not the house of God. It was rejected. And God showed his rejection of that in 70 AD under Titus when he destroyed that house. But that house is rejected. But true believers in Jesus is the house that God himself builds and accepts. And so notice what he says. So therefore you, you believers are being built up as what? A spiritual house. Why? Because those men who rejected Jesus, let them have their house of stone. It is rejected by God. But anyway, so now you can understand the inferences that Peter is implying in the text that a Jew of his time would understand when he's talking about that language of the spiritual house, that reference to what? The temple in Jerusalem. And he is now saying what? But you are that temple of God. And that's why Paul says, no, you do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? Think about what I just said. Temple of God and the spirit of God. What happened in the tabernacle? It was the place that was built for God to inhabit so that the spirit of God would manifest amongst the, to the people. But anyway, a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Now notice again, the language that he uses. Oh, and this, okay. But now, even though this does have application for all believers, in particular, Peter is talking to those Jewish people, those handful of Jewish people, believers in Jesus Christ, who have been scattered across all of those different places that he talked about, the diaspora, okay? But so notice the language that he uses, one that they would be familiar with. Because remember, the Jews in their system of religious worship had the Levitical priest who worshiped in, um, in the temple. And notice what he says, you are a holy priesthood. And also too, uh, let me just finish the statement, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so you are that priesthood. So you can understand 
the rejection that they would have felt, these people, these first century Jews, would have felt being rejected by the priesthood, their religion. Remember, they call Christianity the way. When they spoke of it and called it the way, it was negative. It was simply saying, they were simply saying, their way of worshiping God is not a way that we concur, we, we don't agree with and we reject, we, we find that offensive, the way. So that's how they were basically using that term, okay? And so you can understand how they would be rejected, thrown out of the synagogue and refused worship in the temple. And so therefore, their access to certain spiritual blessings that God had given the nation of Israel, namely the Levitical priesthood, the temple worship, and all of this stuff like that. So you kind of, they feel left out. Peter is saying they do not have the true worship and true religion. They don't accept Jesus, but you do. And so therefore, you yourselves have become the spiritual house and you yourselves have become holy priests, those who serve God and your sacrifices. Your sacrifices are not the blood of bulls and goats and sheep. Your sp sacrifices are spiritual services. In other words, the way that you live. So you are a Levitical priesthood in a spiritual manner who don't offer up animal sacrifices, but you offer up the sacrifice of obedience to your God. And in this, what did God say when the sacrifice would be proper? It would be like an odor of a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. That is, it is well-pleasing and acceptable to God. So you as believers in Christ Jesus, you become the new house of God, house not built with hands, but a spiritual house. You become the new priest, priest not like from the Levit from the order, the Levitical order of Aaron, but a holy priesthood chosen under God, even through Christ Jesus. And your sacrifices are not the sacrifices of blood, bulls, and sheep, but your sacrifices are sacrifices of an obedient life that pleases God. And then he says concerning Christ, uh, for what about Jesus? And then that's what he, in this hiatus, so to speak, for this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. So notice again, the same idea, continue the idea, the, the principle of building of a spiritual house. But with the reference here from Isaiah, uh, uh, in Zion being a choice stone. And the idea coming from the idea, the point of choice stone, elect, chosen of God, okay? a precious and cornerstone. And these kind of, kind of speaks for themselves. Jesus, chosen of God, called of God, precious in the sight of God. And those who believe in Jesus will not ultimately be disappointed. Even though you go through difficulties now, what? We are not living for the now. Go back to chapter one once again, the very last video that we did. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And in that day, we will definitely not, not be disappointed. Jesus will say unto all of those who have loved his appearance, well done, okay? Concerning Jesus, once again, as it keeps on in this, 
this precious value then is for you who believe. So that is Jesus, this precious stone. He is for the believers, for them. But again, notice he makes a contrasting analogy. And this is the final point. The final point is for those rejected by men. Tell me about those rejected by men. Tim, uh, that is Jesus. Jesus rejected by men. Those rejected by men, those who do not believe. Those who reject the stone, the chief stone, cornerstone, precious stone. What about them for those who disbelieve? What? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And we remember Jesus saying that to the rulers themselves. In other words, it is a, it was predicted that God would send the Messiah, the stone, the chief stone, the cornerstone. Now, I hate to use words and sometimes uh, we don't understand. Uh, we don't really think about what it's trying to say. Notice he calls Jesus the cornerstone. What is important about the cornerstone? The cornerstone was when you laying the when when you when you begin a building, when you begin a building, building it. The first stone that you lay, the very first one, is the cornerstone. And from the cornerstone, you lay all of the rest of the stone. So the, that's why it's called the cornerstone. It is foundational. Nothing can, the building cannot begin without laying the first stone, which would be the foundation. It is the cornerstone. From it, the rest of it will be built. And that's what he's talking about. The rest of the community of the body of believers. Jesus is our cornerstone and we are the house that's being built up from that cornerstone, that laying down of the foundation of Christ the apostles and the prophets. But anyway, we're not going there. But back to what he is saying, that stone, that stone which the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There ain't no house without him. And then he calls him, verse number eight, dealing with the same idea of those who disbelieve, those who have rejected that rock, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And all of this we can see in Jesus. Okay. Okay, fine. I'm not going to get as far as I thought I would in this video, but I'd rather not go as far, but it still give you a really good understanding of these things. What is he saying about Jesus? Once again, a stone of stumbling. And this is what happens because of Jesus. What happened? When the Jewish people looked at Jesus, Jesus was not what, Lord have mercy. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. That's that crazy phone of mine going off. Hold on a second. Let me turn it off. Okay. Now, what was I saying? Stone of stumbling. Okay. So Jesus, that stone of stumbling, he was not uh, in, in a court. He was not what the Jewish people expected. That two primary things, and let me speak from, from two perspectives, dealing with the leaders of the people. The leaders rejected Jesus because they thought Jesus would come into the world and be a Pharisee 
like them, that is the Messiah, would be a Pharisee like unto them. Remember, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. But when the Pharisees saw Jesus, Jesus was not like them, and he rejected all of their additional rules, rules that they put according to the law. We ain't going to get into all of that, but we call it Mishneg Judaism, okay? It became known as Mishneg Judaism. All of those additional rules. And so Jesus did not come in the manner in which the religious leaders liked him. Then the people themselves did not experience Jesus in the way that they thought that some great leader would come to deliver them and all of this stuff like that. He was not what they thought he should be. But what happened? Jesus came and he spoke of his death, how he would die for sins. And the, and the idea of a dying Messiah just didn't resonate with them. They just could not get over the fact that the Messiah had to die even though it was written in the scriptures that the Messiah would die. And, and, and now, of course, also, and the resurrection of the dead. So they just, in Jesus, in the life that he lived and the things that he did, they just couldn't deal with it. So we see what? He was a stone that they stumbled over and they also found it as offensive to them. We can see that especially in the death of the Messiah, even as it is today, because one of the main arguments that people have against that Jesus, from that is from the Jews, from the Jews, one of the main arguments from the Jews that they have that Jesus is not the Messiah is, if Jesus was the Messiah, why didn't he bring in world peace like the prophet said he would, Isaiah said he would, and Jeremiah and Zechariah. All of the prophets looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, and in the Messianic age, he would bring peace, rule, and justice for the entire world. And if Jesus was thus, was such a Messiah, why didn't he do that? So therefore, they are offended in the fact that Jesus did not do this. And we understand that Jesus didn't do it in his first coming, but he will do these things in his second coming. But nevertheless, the idea Peter's trying to bring in is those who rejected him, those who were unbelievers, these were they who were what, who were uh, uh, stumbled over the stone over Jesus and were offended in him. Then he says at the end of verse number eight, for they stumbled because they were disobedient to the word. And that once again, it takes us all the way back to what Peter was just saying in a contrary sense to the believers. He says, if indeed, he said, you have been born again by the word of God. This is the word that we have preached to you. And since we have preached this word to you, what? Number one, love one another. And number two, be obedient to this word of God. Here is where he contrasts the unbelievers. What is their problem and why are they rejecting Jesus? Unlike you, they are what? disobedient to the word of God. And this final statement, and I'm not, I don't want to spend a long time with this one. And to this doom, they were appointed. Now, notice again, y'all know I'm reading NASB, uh, 1995 update edition scripture. That's the text that I'm using in the English text. Okay. 
So, but the word doom is actually not in the text. And I, okay, let me just go ahead and tell you. I know I've told you before, but just in case you haven't heard me talk about it. In the Bible, in your scriptures, whenever you see a word that is italicized in italics, it simply is saying that that word has been added by the translators to help you understand the text. So they are not so much as translating, but they're more so interpreting, okay? Interpreting. So the point here is the word doom is not actually in the text. So what Peter actually says, he's talking about what? They're stumbling because they were disobedient to the word, unbelievers, those who rejected Jesus. And notice the idea is, and to this, they were appointed. Okay, so without getting excited and without making a hoop to do about it, if you recall what we said about 1 Peter chapter 1, and that, that's the second video, but the video we did in 1 Peter, dealing with the believers being the elect and called ones of God. Salvation is when God has sovereignly chose an individual from the beginning of time that this person should come to faith, believe ultimately in Jesus. That's salvation called from the foundation of the world. This is an act of God's sovereign will alone, okay? So their election, their salvation is of God. What Peter does now at verse number eight, look at it carefully. They are, remember, they have rejected Jesus, right? They are what? Stumbling over this stone, the chief stone, the cornerstone, and they are offended in him. He answers the question, why? Why have they rejected Jesus? Notice, because to this, to now the, the, the right, the translators got it right in the sense there is a doom awaiting, but they missed the point. To this, to this what? To this rejection of Jesus, they were also appointed in the same way. Now notice, whether you like it or not, and I don't want to get into a big digression in this, because people have a hard time with this. But I don't care how you feel. It is the biblical doctrinal truth of God, and it is a settled thing. Go back to the point. Why are they stumbling over that rock? Why have they rejected Jesus? Why do they find with offense? Because to this, they were appointed in the same way as God has appointed. This is what Peter is saying. In the same way that God has appointed you few Jewish believers to believe in Jesus and obtain salvation, he has also appointed those who reject Jesus, stumble over Jesus, they themselves are also appointed of God not to believe. So consider it like a coin. On one side of the coin, you have those who have been appointed to believe in Jesus and obtain salvation, 1 Peter chapter 1, we see that in verses number 1 through 5, 
And then on the other side of the coin, we have those who have been appointed to reject Jesus. And this is why the translator says what? And to this doom. Why? When you reject Jesus, what is the end result? Doom or hell itself. And where does this come from? They were appointed. This is the sovereign act of God in choosing whom he will. And this again, and I don't want to divert into a, a long conversation in this, but this takes us back to what Paul was arguing about in Romans chapter nine, when he was assuming when people were saying concerning when, when he talks about how God has chosen uh, 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 of his own sovereign will, uh, whether or not people has done any good or evil. Remember, we talked about the two twin sons of Jacob, neither one of them having done any good or evil. And then he talks about Pharaoh, how he has said that he, God has chosen Pharaoh, that God might show his power and things of that nature, how God is doing these. And he, Paul assumes that a person will say that a person will get offended and say, well, how can you uh, say that the person has done wrong? Because who can resist the will of God? Who has resisted God's will since God has done these things? And Paul begins to say, and who are you who try to judge the almighty sovereign God of creation? Who are you who judges God? But the point that Paul begins to say is, can God, because he is God, make from one lump something for his praise and glory and something to be discarded? Cannot God make something for glory and cannot God make something unworthy of glory? God can make both things. And here is where Peter is using this same analogy. He's saying to those Jewish Christians, you yourselves have been chosen for salvation, even though those in that religious system, those serving the physical temple in Jerusalem, they reject you and they reject your worship. Why? Because you believe in Jesus. He said, but you don't understand it. You need to know you are the chosen people. You are the holy priesthood and you are the spiritual temple of God. And your uh, sacrifices are not sacrifices of blood, of bull and goat. Your sacrifices are the sacrifices of obedient lies. But on the contrary side, they are the ones who rejected God because why? They stumbled over that rock that God has placed. That is Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't understand him. They were offended in him. They couldn't get over the fact that the Messiah had to die and resurrected from the dead. And why did they reject Jesus Christ? Because just like you yourselves were appointed unto life, they were appointed unto this end. And that's why the translators added that word doom. They were appointed to reject Jesus. Okay, but let me finish this and then I'm gonna close the video on this uh, because that language is so similar. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light for you once 
were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, so now Peter uses that language. All right, you see, one of the one of the issues that would affect Jewish believers even to this day. When they, when they came to believe and accept Jesus as the Messiah, they would be ostracized by fellow Jews. Sometimes the fellow other Jews would say to Jewish believers in Jesus, you are no longer a Jew. You ain't no Jew no more because you cannot believe in this heretical Jesus of Nazareth. And even today they say that Jesus is a God for the Goim. Jesus is a God for Gentiles, not for us Jews. And so therefore, for a Jew to believe in Jesus, he will be ostracized from the Jewish community. Here, and, and so therefore, in the sense of being ostracized, which you have to bring into understanding. And as they're saying, you are ostracized from the Jewish community. You are also ostracized from all of the promises and the blessings that come with being a Jew. And so what Peter is doing is this. Peter is saying on the reverse, they got it wrong. So now let's go back and go. You, even though ostracized, by your own people, you being told that you are no longer a Jew with the blessings that God has given the covenant people, the Jewish people. Notice verse number nine, you are a chosen race. Now here's what I want you to understand. Each and every one of these descriptors that Peter uses, all of these are descriptors that God used for the Jewish people. What Peter is saying is in a similar way of what Paul was saying in the book of Romans. Paul is saying simply because you came from the loins, simply because you are from the of the physical descendants of Abraham, this does not make you a Jew. And we see that in Romans chapters, uh, what is it, two, as well as I think also chapter three, uh, when Paul is dealing with being a Jew, a true Jew. Notice what I just said. A true Jew not only means to descend physically from Abraham, but it also means to be one of faith, a believer in Christ Jesus, one who truly worships God because you believe in Jesus. Romans 2, 3, also in chapter 9, what it is. And when we begin, has God abandoned his people that he once knew? God forbid. So he talks about all of that, what it means to be a true Jew. And here, Peter is bringing out the same idea. Notice in those descriptions, the Jews were called what? A chosen race, a race of people. And I don't want to get with all of those things because we can talk about the purpose of it because we see this stuff nowadays and we get messed up. Chosen race, and they think they're more than anybody else. They think that Chosen race simply means to be set apart by God, to be set apart by God, to do the will of God. So the Jews were set apart by God to do certain things for God so that they could be like a priesthood to the nations of the people. That's when he talks about that royal priesthood. But anyway, 
the chosenness of God, chosen by God, even to hold the scriptures. That is, the scriptures were written. God gave his word through the Jewish people. God preserved his word through the Jewish people. What did Paul say? What does it profit in being a Jew? Much in every way. For to them were given what? The word of God, the, the word of God for preservations and even the fathers, the covenants, blah, 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 chosen. All right. Doesn't make you more than anybody else. Because in the same way as these Jews are the chosen of God, so are Gentiles who are saved. We too have been selected by God out of this world as a people for himself. So the elect of God are the same. But Peter here is talking specifically to these Jews. Let me say it in a simple way. Who are being told you ain't Jews no more. And Peter is saying, actually, they're the ones who are not the Jews. You are the true Jews. You are the chosen race, Jews who believe in Jesus. You are the royal priesthood. Remember what I just told you about all this stuff about temple worship. They're rejected of their worship because they believe in Jesus and they worship God through Jesus. So therefore, they would be thrown out of the synagogue, rejected in the temple. And therefore, the access to these so-called spiritual blessings in the temple, spiritual blessings uh, through the Levitical Arianic priesthood, they wouldn't have. Peter is saying, uh-uh, you are that royal priesthood. And in the sense of royal priesthood, not only in the sense of the ironic priesthood, but as a nation of priests, we see that in the book of Exodus, a nation chosen by God and a nation of priests unto God. The intent of God in choosing the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, was so that they could minister to all the nations of the world, that is to the Gentile nations on behalf of God. This is what it means to be a priest. On behalf of God, you are serving someone else because that's what the priest did. So the Jewish nation was to preserve the word of God and the worship of God and take this to the nations. But the nations failed God. And what Peter is saying here is, but you have been chosen by God, you believers in Jesus Christ, to take that service to the rest of the world. So that makes you what? A royal priesthood, a holy nation. Holy simply means the idea of one that is set apart, set apart to worship God, set apart to worship and to serve the Lord, to live for God a people for God's own possession. Like, so the whole language that he uses, what? Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession. All of this is the language that, that, that we can see in Old Testament descriptors that God spoke of for the Jewish people. Peter is now taking this language for the Jewish people. Such people who have been ostracized by their own Jews, ostracized and told you're no longer Jews. And Peter is saying, it's not them who are these things, it's you who are these things. And so the point is, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him was called you out of darkness in the marvelous light. The idea is so that you can live in a way that pleases God so all the world can see. 
He continues this same usage of language of being the true Jewish people in reference in verse number 10 to the book of Hosea, the language that is found in the book of Hosea. Notice, for you once were not a people. Again, remember what I just told you. And you can see that inference being underlined here. As these Jews who are believers in Jesus have been cast away and cast aside by their own people and being persecuted by their own people. Y'all ain't no Jews no more right? Y'all ain't the people of God. So you can see that language still being set apart here, but also you can see it here being a fulfillment of the prophecy of Hosea. Why? Because we see in Hosea where, where God spoke about the Jewish people and he called them lo ami, not my people. And so here we can see Peter's reference is to Hosea. I believe it's Hosea chapter one, but Hosea, for you once we're not a people, but now you are the people of God. You went from lo ami, not my people, to my people. As believers in Jesus, God has chosen you for this. There, you were rejected by your own people. Boom. And even in sin, you were not God's people. But now, because you have been chosen by God from the foundation of the world, you, no matter what Jews who are unbelievers, who reject Jesus, who stumble over Jesus, no matter what they say in saying that you are not true Jews, the people of God, indeed, you are truly the people of God. You are the true Ami. And then once again, where he talked, and this was the naming that Hosea had for his children. And then he said, you had not received mercy, that is no more mercy. Again, he's coming from the book of Hosea when Hosea named his children. His children were named after the judgment that God brought, okay? And then once again, it would look forward to the blessings that God would bring, right? And so he says, you who once did not receive mercy, lo ruhamah, you, but now you have received mercy, ruhamah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you now have the mercies of God. And that is in Christ Jesus, all these things, because you are believers in Jesus, you now, once you were not a people, but truly now you are the true people of God. And once you did not have mercy, but indeed as believers in Jesus, you now have the mercies of God. All right. I think I'm going to stop there uh, because now we're going to, uh, after we continue with all of this, we're going to get back on track. We're going to get get back on track here. Um, you know what? Let me let me finish verse number 12 because I think it has to do with this section. And then we're going to close it. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. So he ends to simply say this. So here's where he kind of lays down this final uh, root of foundation. 
Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Remember these Jewish people were scattered amongst the Gentile nations, all right? So he says, when he said, keep your behavior excellent, live in a way that is pleasing to God. Live in holiness. Live as the people of God. Live as those who have been chosen by God by the Gentiles. Why? As living amongst the Gentiles, they say all men of evil think, evil things about you. He said, but nevertheless, in the day of visitation, they will glorify God. Let's deal with the day of visitation, because sometimes you hear people talk about the day of visitation being the coming of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ returned, they will glorify God. Mm, possible, but I think unlikely. I think the day of visitation did basically is talking about the day of their salvation. In other words, they will be functioning. These Jews in living a holy life will function as lights in the world. And when men see their lights, that is these Gentiles, what the Gentiles who are speaking evil about them, they don't really understand why these Jews live the way they do. They don't understand it's for the love of Jesus in obedience to Jesus. So what do they do? These Gentiles are speaking bad things about them, but what? As these Gentiles continue to observe their lives, they themselves are affected. Why? These Jews have been chosen by God. They are chosen to serve the Gentiles, the priesthood. They are chosen to live the holy life, the holy nation. They are God's own possession. They are lights in the world. And once these, G these Gentiles observing the life of these Jews come into the knowledge of salvation when they receive Jesus for themselves. Or in other words, when these Gentiles get saved because or through, through these Jews and the life that they live, they will now, now that their eyes have been opened, they glorify God. But why are they glorifying God? because of what these Jews have done, the life that they have lived, okay? So now we're gonna stop right there. So here, what we have basically in this section, we got two things that we've talked about in this teaching today. Number one, we got into the first sense of the practical teaching of Peter for the believer, these Jewish believers, and also this, it pertains to all believers in all times, Gentiles too. And that is, he laid the foundation, love one another. He laid it in a, uh, a negative way, how not to love one another, being malicious and envious, hypocritical, and things of that nature. But then he said, love one another with a pure love. So number one, love the brotherhood. And then he kind of diverted into the kind of like a praise, so to speak, of Jesus and how that these believers were delivered unto the service of Christ, that they might be people chosen by God, chosen nation, royal priesthood. So you live for the love of Jesus, even though you have been what? Rejected by other Jewish people. And that's when he talked about rejected of men. He's not talking about the world's rejection of men. He's talking about the Israeli nation rejection 
of Jesus. And therefore he uses that terminology from Isaiah 42, Psalm 118 calls him that chief and cornerstone, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And why did they stumble? Because God had appointed them to reject Jesus in the same way that God has appointed you to receive Jesus. And since God has appointed you to receive Jesus, and now you are scattered amongst the Gentiles, live right. Live praiseworthy lives so where the Gentiles will look at your life, even though they might speak evil of you. But hopefully one day when they get saved, they'll say, I see what you were talking about. I see why you live the life that you live. I see why you said and did the things that you did. And they will join you in glorifying God together. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me with that. Join me next time as we continue on with our letter in 1 Peter. And then Peter goes right back into the meat and heart of his letter, that practical application, do this and do that, whatever, live this way, live that way. I cannot wait to get into those things with you. And I truly look forward to this. And remember, even as we're doing these things, there is, even as I'm teaching you, not simply to give you head knowledge, knowledge in your head, but also like Peter, to stir up your spirit so that you yourselves would live in a way that pleases God. Okay. All right. Let me wrap it up. So let me say this for those of you uh, 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 who have blessed the ministry. I want to thank you for that. And for those of you who have not, consider doing so. There's always a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. And I'm asking you to come alongside of me to help me to continue to bring these lessons to you. But before we go, let's end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your election, for calling us unto salvation. We understand that we live in a world that hates you, in a God-forsaking world. But help us to realize, like Peter said to them, that you are chosen people, that we too are chosen of God from the foundation of the world. And we are royal priesthood, that we are chosen to serve God. And our services today is not about what we do and what we give, but it's about how we live before God, because we want to live in a manner that pleases God and help us to live in a way that shows our appreciation. You know, there's a song, and let me just say this, there was a song when I was a little boy, my mama was in church. There was a song that my mama would always sing and I would love to hear my mama sing that song doing what they call testimonial service. And she would stand up and say, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Jesus, I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget. No, never. Help us, Father, to never forget what you, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us and help us to live a life in this ugly world that shows who our Lord truly is. So that hopefully one day, some might, what did Jesus say? 
let your light so shine so that men might see this light and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Bless us, Lord, that we might live such a life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next time. Thank you.